Radio Film School is supported in part by Song Freedom, the only music licensing site where in addition to a wide variety of indie music, cinematic scores, R&B, alt-rock, and other genres, you can also license top 40 popular music as well as classic oldies but goodies. Go to songfreedom.com radio and use the offer code radio to unlock a free, standard, go-level license worth $30. The show is also supported in part by you, the listeners. Become a Daredreamer FM premium member, and for a monthly price equivalent to a large cup of gourmet coffee, you'll get access to exclusive bonus episodes, resources to help you grow in your craft and career like ebooks and templates, and much more. Head on over to daredreamer.fm slash join to learn more. Welcome to Radio Film School Shortens. These are mini documentary episodes about all things cinema to hold you over into the next episode of the main series, A Filmmaker's Journey. If you want to know the origin of the term short ends, check the website. Enjoy. You're listening to Dare Dreamer FM, the sound of creative expression. Once upon a time, there were three little girls who went to the police academy. Exciting and I remember the first time my mother let me stay up past my bedtime. I was about 10 years old and she let me stay up and hang out with her until 2 a.m. in the morning, watching all our favorite TV shows, Charlie's Angels, The Love Boat, Fantasy Island, and who could forget commercials for Cal Worthington and his dog Spot. Here's Cal Worthington and his dog Spot. If you need a better car, go see Cal. For the best deal by far, go see Cal. Which never was a dog. It was always something like a lion or an elephant or some other zoo creature. Any model, any make, go see Cal. Give your pocketbook a break. Go see Cal. The whole experience was wondrous and magical. It was kind of like going on a journey. Then something happened on the television that I had never seen before. The shows just stopped. In their place was the United States flag waving in slow motion and the national anthem played. I vaguely remember seeing cornfields and majestic mountain ranges too. Then, nothing. Fast forward 30 plus years later, and the television landscape looks nothing like it did back then. Instead of three main networks, there are dozens. Instead of only 12 main channels, there are literally hundreds, if not thousands. And the idea of TV going off the air at 2am is a joke. You can watch television non-stop 24 hours a day and never see the same thing twice. The advent of broadband internet has made much of this possible, as the web has become the distribution platform of choice for many of today's most popular shows. The deluge of new content is just one aspect of the TV land that has changed the landscape. But there's another phenomenon that's come about that has had perhaps an even more profound effect on content consumption. I think one of the biggest impacts Netflix has had on content consumption and even creation is binge-watching, because when you think about the effect that binge watching has on the proverbial water cooler 
um, because now those water cooler conversations are so much different. It was different when everyone yeah, was seeing the same sure. show, you know, once a at week. At the same time. At the same time. Now you can't have a conversation around the water cooler because you don't know who's seen what and how much. And but yeah, even the- a conversation at the water cooler could get you stabbed now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's the voice of Yolanda Cochran. If that name sounds familiar to you regular listeners of the show, it's because she's the wife and better half of my friend and frequent show guest, J.D. We've made references to Yolanda every now and then. A little-known fact is that my original idea for this podcast was as a talk show with J.D. and Yolanda as my regular co-hosts. Last year, Yolanda had recently finished a 12-plus year stint at Alcon Entertainment the production company behind such films as Book of Eli, The Blind Side, and the upcoming Blade Runner prequel. When she left that company, she was head of physical production. So between her Hollywood biz experience, JD's story and indie filmmaking experience, and my corporate video and documentary experience, we covered the gamut of topics and knowledge to share with aspiring and working filmmakers and artists. But then something happened on the way to making that talk show. Uh, Yolanda said, screw y'all. I got, I got, I'm too busy. I got too That's many right. things to do. Yes. I wasn't able to do it. So it changed the whole direction of the show. That's not exactly what I said. <laughs> I said, I very, very regretfully cannot join you for your podcast because I have a gig now with a publicly traded company that might preclude my involvement. That company Yolanda is talking about? Netflix. Without the husband-wife duo and chemistry JD and Yo would have brought to the table, I changed the planned format to what is now Radio Film School, a story-based audio documentary show. But, as is often the case in Hollywood, jobs and situations change. With Yo's consulting gig at Netflix now ended, she was free to finally come on and talk shop. And one of the first topics we talked about was how Netflix, binge-watching, and social media has changed the game for both content creators and the studios and networks that distribute that content. But even the way you... Not just the way you consume a story, but how the way you relate to a story. So, like, a good example for me was, like, the first time that I watched... Like Battlestar Galactica, the sci-fi revamp reboot, you know, which you know was critically acclaimed, it was loved by fans. Um, I never watched it when it was on sci-fi. Like I didn't watch it until like the DVDs were out. So I, in essence, binge watched it. Like I'd watch a bunch of DVD episodes at a time. And like when I got to the end, like the ending of that series for me was extremely satisfying at the time. Um, if I think back to now, I still kind of like the ending. But when I went online and I Googled fans' reaction to the series finale, there was, like, so much hate for it. And I wondered, like, if the way I consumed it, seeing one episode after another, like, affected my yeah. response to the yeah. ending. Because yeah. let's say if, if you're waiting months at a time for something, that builds anticipation for something. Mm-hmm. So that if it doesn't meet expectations, it's going to affect you more negatively than if you're watching it one episode right after another and you get to the end. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And actually, I I read an article 
you know, time goes so quickly. It feels like, you know, I read it a couple months ago. It was probably a year ago. But I read an article that talked about how binge watching is changing our our psychology um, because, wow. you know, there is this, um, you know, with needing to wait for a show and needing to wait for the next week for the next episode to come, there's um, delayed gratification. And so when you can immediately watch the next episode, there isn't that delayed gratification. You know, it's like instant gratification. You know, right, you don't right. have to you don't have to wait around. And, and it's why people, you know, end up staying up all night <laughs> losing sleep because they, you know, you get to the end of an episode of a good show and you're like, oh, my God, I have to know what happens next. Whereas, you know, for example, you know, shows that are on like HBO or whatever or other, you know, any, really any network that is a really good show. Right. You know, you leave that episode, you're like, oh my God, I can't wait to see what happens. And, and so you're, you're really wanting to, you know, see that next thing, but you have to wait. And, and now we don't really need to do that on shows that are on these platforms, particularly the ones that release an entire season all at once. You know, there, there, you know, there's other formats that, yes, you stream it and you can binge watch, um, but maybe the, you know, the releasing of it, the release pattern is different where you can't get the entire season all at one, you know, one go. Right, right. Um, do you think that binge watching has been, do you think it's uh, net positive or net negative for creative artists filmmakers and whatnot i mean obviously there's pluses and minuses to anything and there's pluses and minuses to binge watching obviously some of the pluses is you can consume it all right now you don't have to wait some of the negatives are like you said you could get you know you can get shanked at the water cooler if you say too much <laughs> right <laughs> so you know in, in your you know you know in your humble opinion you know do you think binge watching is something that has been a net positive for the industry or a net negative or somewhere in between? What do you think? It's a really good question. I mean, I think on balance, it's just the new norm like it's the new way that we consume entertainment and so that is going to change not only the way we we perceive things and and kind of like that psychology that I was talking about but it's also going to change like you know social norms you know when we talk about being at the water cooler or whatever having conversations with people I mean you know, our entire world is changing so much with technology and, and that's part and parcel to companies like Amazon and Netflix that are streaming services and now networks who are doing it as well is, you know, technology is now a new tool so that more people can put their eyes on quality entertainment. And so the means by which they're doing it is just changing. And then you add in like, you know, social media. I remember JD and I talking and in, in, in a group of our friends saying, you know, stay off Twitter and stay off the internet, you know, leading right. up to Star Wars because right. 
there's going to be spoilers. And if you if you want to, you know, retain that, you know, mystery, then you need to not be looking. And so the binge watching, I think, is fine. Like for me personally, my time is super limited. I have very little time to consume any entertainment. So I really enjoy and appreciate being able to have access to the entertainment when I'm ready to watch it. And, you know, in the case where I want to look at everything all at once, that's wonderful because I can do it and I can be done on my time. Well, actually, the social media does bring up another great topic of how uh, the industry has been affected by social media because, and I was listening to, it was either The Frame, I think it was The Frame, you know, one of the Hollywood business-related podcasts that I listened to, Um, and uh, I believe they were interviewing the head of ABC, and they were talking about just the effect that social media has I don't know. I don't think they were talking to the head. Of, I don't think it was when they were talking to the head of ABC. Somebody was talking to some executive <laughs> somewhere, and but they were talking about the effect that social media has on box office box office numbers. Because there used to be a time when total, you know, there used to be a time when movie comes out Thursday, Friday, and it took a while if the movie was bad or good for the word of mouth to get around and. You know, obviously, word of mouth still affected the weekend BO numbers, but now what used to take the entire weekend can happen Friday night. Like, oh, it's before Friday night. <laughs> Even before Friday, it's before Friday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, it's almost immediate because what happens is you get people on the East Coast going, and it takes two seconds for <laughs> right. a thought to travel the globe. Right. <laughs> I mean, so right. it has a major impact. change their mind in the car on the way there they could i mean they could be anywhere i can't tell you how how much consumerism i do on my telephone you know with a search and a oh what do i do and uh, siri where do i find this and oh, okay you just pop me to the page where i can make this purchase like it's so fast but here's where i think this is actually good for content creators studios have less ability to get away with marketing crap, right? So they are going to be forced to really put more attention. Not that they don't do this now. So I'm not trying to imply the studios, you know, don't care about quality. Obviously they do. But I think I think you can make a case that there's some movies out there where you know the actors are just getting a paycheck and you know the studio is going to just use marketing or whatever to get it out there. And now, I guess what I'm saying is they have to have a more discerning eye with what they put out there because of the fact that if something does really suck, that word of mouth is going to get around in the blink of an eye, in the blink of a tweet. And do you agree? Disagree? What do you think? I understand what you're saying, but I disagree that that is what's happening. Uh, explain. Tell me what you mean by that. You disagree that what's that what's happening? Basically, if I understand your point, studios need to take on board and realize that if a movie's bad, 
word will travel travel quickly, and therefore they need to put out good movies in order to make money. In essence, that's why I'm saying yes. I believe, based upon the trending of what is being made by the traditional studios, they're not necessarily making those kinds of choices from a creative content perspective, meaning they're still making a lot of the same types of movies. Right, right. Some of them very good, a lot of them not so good, and a lot of them like the, you know, uh, kind of movies that are lacking in a good story. Mm-hmm. What seems to have happened, and maybe that's changing a little bit because the landscape is changing so much with consumer choice on being able to get content from companies like Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and whatever else, is they recognize that they need to make a shift. But essentially what the, the larger traditional studios have done is shrink the number of bets that they're making hmm. and do large tentpole movies uh, that they believe are going to draw an audience because of the IP. Maybe it's a superhero movie or, you know, it's based off of a book series that was hugely popular or it's got a big name star. And just, you know, by dint of the sheer numbers of people who are going to at least give it a shot opening weekend or, you know, fanboy following or whatever, they'll put all of their eggs in that basket spend a lot of money marketing it and then you know get a lot of box office that way particularly in the foreign market right right I I don't really see the focus other than now because of some of these game changers there being a discussion of how do we change our focus to making you know story and character driven movies because of the fact that we can't fool our consumers for so long anymore. Right. So, I guess I'm not saying that it's happening now. I'm saying that I could see that being something that studios will have to lean, will have to move towards. And I could be totally wrong. I mean, what do I know? You've been in the industry for years. I, so Ron, I, go ahead. I would ask you, though, if I'm following what you guys are saying, you're saying, you were asking a question, you think now because of Twitter or social media, you know, now there's this heightened pressure for the studios to 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 work on story or, or, or to, to take into account their story development. But I don't think that they come to the table. I, I think every time they come out to bat, they're they think they've got the greatest film or whatever. Or they've got a good movie. I mean, and to be honest, a lot of people making the decisions don't with no story if it hit them in the face. So it's like I don't know that they would be even uh, in a position to. To realize that their story's whack or horrible or whatever, in, in, in order to cut off uh, social media uh, consequences because their story is bad, that type of game plan when you're an independent filmmaker is totally crucial. Where you want to have social media ahead of right. ahead of the the project, so it's like, okay, I have this idea. Let's get a trailer shot, you know, or, or a, a sample trailer. What we want to do and get the script out there. And then get a whole bunch of people geeked out about this new horror flick that I'm working on. And then as we go through the process of making this film, you know, we'll, we'll have, you know, a periodic, you know, media blitz, you know, to keep everybody engaged. So by the time the film comes out or it gets released on DVD or whatever, then people are there to uh, 
that the people are excited and they and they want to you know you know be a part of the project and go check it out and see it. Whereas studios like the big studios, they don't they're coming from a totally different end of the spectrum. Where I, I think when you don't have to do that, it it really hampers how much you're willing to scrutinize the story you're telling. If you're an indie filmmaker, you, along with 4,000 other indie filmmakers that are going to come out with films this year, you know, okay, in my genre, I got to try to bring it and make a really good film. So I stick out because I got competition six ways to Sunday. And with studios, it's like they've got these big marketing machines that whether you like it or not, if they're going to put the money behind it, you're going to know about, you know, pixels. You get deluged with their marketing campaign. And I think... As long as they have that, that, that's a huge weapon to. Right. And they could do it across social medias, TV, radio, posters, whatever. Here's one way that I definitely see social media and the power of it. You know, <laughs> you're really pushing this idea, man. <laughs> well, I mean, just, I mean, think about um, um, Issa Rae. Are you familiar with who she is? Yes, Prince is producing her show. Remember? Are you serious? All right. So for those yeah. of you, for those listening who might not know, Issa Rae created a YouTube show called Awkward Black Girl, and um, HBO found it and picked it up, and now she's creating something called what's it called? It's called it's called Insecure. Insecure, right? Everybody watch it. It's gonna right. be great. HBO. All right. All right. So um, here's a show that, if it wasn't for social media and everything about it, would not have been picked up by HBO. Like, and obviously, there's a lot of people like that's their dream come true. You create something amazing, or you create something, and then some, you know, person. You know, sitting in a corner in YouTube and YouTube and HBO right. finds Powers it. Powers a B open the door. And <laughs> right, right. But but even before HBO picked her up, you know, she had a following. You know, she was, you know, she had. Um, yeah, definitely. I saw her actually on some talk shows and I didn't really know about her show when right. I wasn't a follower, but I had seen her on several talk shows. So then once this happened and HBO took her show, I was like, oh, I remember having seen her and having heard that she had a show that she did online, a web series. Right. I'm not even um, positing that like that's the ultimate end goal for somebody who wants to create something. I mean, that's a nice to have. And there are a number of YouTube success stories like that. I mean, Freddie W is another one. He's doing something for Hulu. But but even the idea of creating content on your own that's quality and creating you know, Seth Golden talks about you only need a tribe of a thousand loyal fans to make a living at something. It used to be like if you wanted to make a living or any kind of money, whether or not it was your sole source of income. But if you wanted to make any kind of money from the film business, you had to actually be hired by somebody in Hollywood. You had to start at the ground floor and work your way up to a director or whatnot. Now you can actually be a director, be a writer, be a showrunner, showrunner for your own show do it on the side or what have you and if it is if it's a quality show and you're able to create you know what seth golden talks about those 1000 loyal fans who are willing to you know buy your content or whatnot you can create a side business or you can at least maybe make enough to sustain what in other words and another time would have been just an expensive hobby you know based on your experience Rolando, working with that kind of content, what advice would you give to a content creator who wanted to go down that path? You know, if I mean, this is what I would say about it. And it kind of harkens back to a conversation you and I had long ago. Yeah, on my other podcast. Crossing, I was just going to say yeah, that. Yeah, for Crossing the 180, which is, it's interesting because my background and forte is physical production, which is 
all about logistics and project management, but I'm a huge proponent for content and the content creators. And by that, I mean those people who come up with the story. Right. And in my mind, it could be a naive notion, but I believe that if you have good, compelling content, then you will find an audience for it. Now, obviously, there's many stories of people out there who never made it who have great stuff. And my theory about that is, you know, there's a lot of people who, for whatever reasons in their life, had to finally put it down. But for anybody who has good content and can continue the fight to get it out there and keep pushing and pushing to have someone look at it or in the case we're talking about right now, create it yourself, then you're going to find an audience and that and you're going to find success. Again, your content has to be good. So to those people, I would say, make sure that your writing is is really good and compelling and is something that whatever subset of the audience wants to see. My very favorite thing about your entire podcast that you say every time is, you know, if you have a sucky story, I don't care what you shot it on. You know, right, like right. I, I'm a wholehearted believer in that. It's like, it's all about the story. We are living in some amazing times. Back when I was just 10 years old, I snuggled up next to my mother underneath a blanket in the hills of Altadena, California, in a small three-bedroom, two-bath house as we stayed up past 2 a.m. watching all of our favorite TV shows. Today, a 10-year-old can literally make his or her own quote-unquote TV show and share them with the world and be discovered. You, you listening to my voice right now can be a showrunner for your own web show. Or you can literally direct a feature film on your iPhone and garner critical raves and have your film end up on dozens of critics' top ten lists. Just ask Sean Baker, the director behind the indie hit Tangerine. Sean is a shining example of the podcast sign-off to which Yolanda was alluding. If you have a good story and you tell it well, you will find your way, your style, and your audience. And who knows? Perhaps a group of employees at Acme Paper will gather around their water cooler discussing your show. Stay tuned for what we'll be talking about on next week's show, and stay tuned past the credits for a funny outtake. The time is now 2.41 as we leave the air. We invite you to tune in again tomorrow for the finest in television programming. Good night. Radio Film School is a production of Daredreamer FM. This episode was written and produced by me. Additional production help comes from producer Chris Huslidge. Music for this episode was curated from freemusicarchive.org. Links to artists and tracks are in the show notes. We're supported in part by Song Freedom. Licensed high-quality music from every genre, including Top 40, to legally use in your productions. Go to songfreedom.com radio and use offer code radio to unlock a standard gold-level license worth $30. We're also supported by you, the listener. Become a DDFM Premium member for access to bonus content and resources to help you grow in your crafting career. 
If you're not ready to become a member, the best way you can support the show now is to subscribe in iTunes and leave us a rating and review. And share the show with your friends and colleagues. You can follow me on Twitter at FM, and you can follow the show at Radio Film School. Tune in next week when we address the issue of mediocrity and how to deal with it when you feel your work is just mediocre. In the meantime, don't forget, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with or cut it on. Binge watching not only changes like how we consume content. Hold on one second. My wife is deciding to run. Can you guys hear that? <laughs> yeah. The yes. vacuum cleaner. Hey, by the way, tell Taj Russell what's up. Tell, hey, tell Taj Russell what's up. No, it's a blender. Oh. All right. Ho- 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 tell, hold make, tell him to make me a smoothie. <laughs> hold on. I have a Mary Sue with me right now. <laughs> she tried to actually stick her microphone into the iMac mini light that um <laughs> or plug so we're here i hope you shut reco- up i hope you weren't recording any of that because it's all recorded dude i start recording from the hey, beginning. hey that's off the record because you gotta you gotta let me know <laughs> first let me get my um let me get my very white voice on what's up <laughs> i'm coming in like shack right now uh how you doing i'd like to say hello to everybody out there in rod's podcast world <laughs> This is J.D. Cochran and Yolanda. Can you please step away from the mic?